We live, Chef? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Allahumma salli wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyana Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'altahu sahla wa anta tajlul hazna idha shi'la sahla Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husna ibadatik ya rabbil kareem. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Hayyakumullah, hayyakumullah. Right. So today is our, or tonight is our final uh, session, final um, on-site, final online. Good to see any people celebrating that. Biggest yeah, the audience of the season always turn up yeah, for the, I don't know, what do you think you're getting back to? Yeah, what, what, there's no fun now for the next like, I don't know how many months, four months, five months. By the way, I just want to say it's a miracle that I'm speaking, by the way. Usman, he calls me up, he goes, yeah, did you survive or not? Did you like? Are you alive? Because he knew that I went under Shazad Salim's hands today. Had some problems and this and that, whatever. Usman's calling me, calling me. Are you alive or not? Whatever. Because this guy's got heavy hands. You know, we normally say someone's heavy-handed. Yeah, and when they punch, heavy-handed. Shazad Salim with his tools, he's heavy-handed. You know, he doesn't care. But Salana Shukar that he didn't use. You know, his favorite implement that uh, anesthetic uh, injection. You know, the one that kills. Yeah, the one that instead of doing one at the top, he'd put six in, into each tooth. Anyway, Allah shukriya is, is alive and uh, we're still able to speak. All right. So a couple of things then. Um, what else a couple of things? So in terms of the uh, class, obviously we'll have uh, in the next few weeks, we'll start to get um, the uh, dates for uh, revision sessions and things like that. And... Um, uh, I mean, as a as a year, we've had. Uh, I wrote a kind of update yesterday that we've done something like thirty lessons, and we've done thirty lessons um, or less four, I think, times previously. There's a few black ones, you know, when you do like a couple of specials, and then that kind of boosts it up. But basically, this isn't as short a year as it was, but it feels like that. And I think definitely that's because I was less here as well. So next year, I think a few changes, a few changes next year. I'm, um, uh, I, I think that I'm going to try to, um, there's another class that I'm doing, which will, I'm going to have to close. Oh, it will come to a close anyway. We'll finish that text um, and uh, hopefully we can focus more. And I will hopefully be for the new year um, with the support of the team uh, looking to maybe restart again after Ramadan. Next year, the gap between uh, uh, Eid uh, Eid al-Fitr, I mean, and the summer holidays, which was always the intention. It wasn't the intention just to take holidays for the sake of holidays. The idea was to allow the summer holidays and Hajj to kind of, uh, 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 you know, it worked out really nice in the first five years of LP that uh, Ramadan and Hajj was all around the summertime, and so it just worked out. Now Ramadan is so early, yep, next year is going to be early, and Hajj is going to be also before the summer holidays, uh, and um, you know, so we're gonna have to sort something out. So next year will be a bit different. Massive shout out going to the to Mesa and the team, all of the volunteers, the referencing team, the transcribing team. Uh, they've done a, a brilliant job. As always, let down by myself. The only guy and who every <laughs> every week is translating off the fly because I can't keep up with their uh, level of uh, of excellence. Mashallah, it's nice to say that. So shout out to everybody. Um, that takes part and it's a big team you'd be surprised yeah, and how many people are involved how many volunteers are involved and you'd be amazed what a mission it is 
right? If you, I'll tell you something, actually. Just if you want to understand how... It, I haven't got my head around it. I have to sit with Naeem, make him understand his chat GP thing, right? I don't understand what it is, but I, I need to understand it. Um, but if you want to understand what a mission it is to write the transcribed notes, how long that it takes to transcribe me when I'm speaking and I'm eating half the words, speaking 100 words a minute, lots of slang, this, that. Have a look at the Al-Maghrib Divine Link videos that have got their own team and they're doing some, uh, they use, some of them use the automatic uh, like a chat, AI type uh, programs, whatever. And it's just, it's a madness. If someone's trying to watch these videos without the sound and you're reading these things, there's some crazy stuff I'm coming out. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I was I was <laughs> I was looking at this thing because I'm not a person who typically presses you know I don't scroll up and down and press this that but obviously with this one I've had to check the videos see what's going on and I'm thinking oh, I, I, did I just say that I'm reading like so when you're in the pre zone I thought that's what you say when you're playing American football or something isn't it yeah and so rewinded it back pressed it and it's about and when you enter into the prayer zone and I'm thinking come on come back what is this. But anyway, I know that they've been struggling to keep up because they've been releasing loads and loads of videos for the Fiqh Salah and the transcribing is a nightmare. And you can imagine that every week the team are having to do exactly that, right? Exactly that. Guys, it's important that if you're parked in the middle because it's busy and it is busy, just uh, please go and uh, uh, change, uh, uh, move your uh, car. Huh? There's a meeting at the back room. Yeah, uh, we might just need to check at the back as well, actually, to see. Yeah. Huh? Is it definitely his, though? Okay. Um, and so to that, um, yeah, you have to definitely try to turn off the, 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 the subtitles. I just want to say great, great effort from the team. All right, folks. Um, actually, let me make a few announcements beforehand in case it gets a bit too late. I mean, nobody's rushing to get on for Liverpool versus uh, Real Madrid anyway. So... Yeah, well, Bubs, was that you saying that there might be a chance? He did, say that. He, he did isn't it? You know, he's a secret Liverpool supporter, by the way. Zafar as well. They're only, you know what I mean? Okay, okay, okay. It wasn't Bubby, it was Zafar. Point is, good man. You know, today we take it. I'm, a, I'm not a rock today. Today we're celebrating Hasib. We miss Hasib every day. What are you talking about? Where has Hasib been? Huh? We're missing his biryani, we're missing him. He's taken chutti from the masjid yani, for the last how many months? When I'm away, no, shut up that he come a few times. Don't you try to defend him now. You just want biryani, that's all. I know. Don't defend him. Ross, kids are here. Listen, ignore this box, yeah? Just keep walking. I don't know how many kids come, man. Anyway, that's, that's what's the end. So, um, in terms of uh, announcements, Ross, where is it? Is it like a youth club or something? Islamic studies class. That's very popular, isn't it? <laughs> might, need to <laughs> might, need to change, might need to change subjects and get their guy in to teach the class. Huh? Look at this. Right, so, so now, um, a couple of important announcements for those folks that are in the know. First of all, on the issue of Hajj, right? Uh, whoever you're going, wherever you're going with, if you're planning to go Hajj, I want you to know that the next few days will be absolutely critical, right? I mean, I'm selling you that from the inside. Because the last few days has been so stressful. Saudi Arabia, the Saudi authorities, government going back and forth, changing the things like they do and what they do and whatever, whatnot. So whoever it is that you are planning to go with, if you still plan to go, they'll be releasing instructions and packages and there'll be reduced numbers. 
right? So uh, uh, a heads up, UK has a 27,000 pilgrim quota, normative times. That was exactly what was planned when the minister said, came on and said, we're back to pre-pandemic. You remember that big announcement? We're back to pre-pandemic thingies, the good times are, are back again, all that kind of whatever. And uh, the quota has been cut to 3,600, meaning 90% cut. This is all politics, it's all X, it's all Y, and it's all me getting banned now. So just, that's enough, right? So the point is, just so that you understand the kind of uh, situations that are going out there, I can't believe that Hannah is a Liverpool fan. Like, if life couldn't get worse for us, then without destroying every program that we have, she's a Liverpool fan as well. You never walk alone. Absolute waste, man. Unbelievable. Calling Auntie Latifa to, to get rid of you. Right. Um, so, therefore, um, if you are intending to go to Hajj with whoever it is you're going with, be ready in the next few days to, when they release the package, to jump all over it. Okay? And pay the deposits and X and Y, Z to secure your place. Because that is what's going to happen. That's what you're not being told. And, and it will be in the next few days, maybe even tomorrow, or the next two days, in which I understand that they're going to release uh, programs. Ours is not even, my, the, our, our Hajjudai uh, program, not even ready yet. The, 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 the organizers still trying to work out the, uh, the place of base camp, etc. Might be ready by tonight. It's complete madness over there, these Saudi companies that have taken on the new uh, system. So just putting that out there. Um, other than that, uh, the most important re announcement is about Fiqh Salah. The Fiqh Salah, obviously, you would have seen uh, clips about it, etc., etc. Uh, all of you will, of, of course, know about it. That's not the point. I think what, what needs to happen, because it closes tomorrow. I think it closes tomorrow. Closes tomorrow? Tomorrow? Yeah. So it closes tomorrow. So um, the target people that need to have that class, it's a class that is downloaded and it remains in your portal forever. It's like a lifetime access thing. Uh, are your more non-practicing folks, those folks that are not you know, really interested in practicing Islam a bit, nuts and bolts, but they all have a, an ideal to, to try and pray. And, you know, Fiqh Salah, you remember when I launched it in 2008, I want to say, or maybe nine, the intention back then was always, always that the Fiqh Salah is a shell to teach everything. So the class had wudu, the class had dress sense, uh, in male-female interactions, adab, like everything. And the online one gave me the opportunity to do that even more, right? So be able to teach all kinds of other stuff that wouldn't fit in a different class, all kinds of extra stuff that would make people feel a bit relaxed, a bit of fun, bantered, blah, blah. So it's the right kind of thing to, for non-practicing people. So I want you to think about your friends and family and knowing that they could, for their family, have this class and with their kids, especially those that don't take an active interest in teaching their children, right? Uh, or set the best example for their children. Every household needs this class. Simple as that. So think about that. You can gift it to them. You can direct them to it. But I think it's a very, very important sadaqah jariyah. Remember, I used to say that to you. I said this to you guys before. When it comes to the idea of uh, sadaqah jariyah, there are a few certain areas that are no-brainers that, that people used to kind of fight with one another to get in. The first is water because of the ridiculous multiplication of, of, of usufruct that comes from water. Not the, just the quenching of thirst, but of course that creates vegetation which brings then animals, which creates industry, which brings people, and then you have a town that's built around the water source. So investing in water has always been, will always be, the ultimate sadaqah jariya when it comes to usufruct and, and utility and, and civil kind of infrastructure. Then 
you're looking at the Fatiha, right? Have I, I've spoken about this before, right? Somewhere? That, that mother and father normally, they, they fight over who should teach the child the Fatiha. Because that will be what is repeated again and again and again and again for the rest of that child's life. And then they pick up, all, you know, the, 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 the Sadaqa is carrying on for the, the, you know, for the parent. Every time the child's praying, then they teach their siblings, they teach their own kids. It's crazy, and it returns on something like that. Um, and so this kind of Salah, right, and all the things that are around Salah comes from this chapter, from this issue, you know, of teaching someone like Fatiha. So when you teach something, when you are instrumental in them learning how to pray properly, all the prayers for the rest of their lives, the prayers of that person's family and the ones that they then teach. So think of it in an intelligent uh, fashion if you're planning for your akhirah. Right? Sometimes a class isn't just a class or a product or a purchase. Sometimes you've got to think about things a little bit uh, different. A little bit different. Similar to the folks who support this class, by the way. There are. Um, I remember uh, when we set up PG and then in the first few years when I had the intention for this class, I said to those, I said, I, 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 I limited it to, I think, maybe 20 people. I, I, I said to 20 people that uh, this is not going to be a public uh, thing. You're going to take responsibility for, for doing this class and, and paying for this class, the costs and everything associated. And we closed it after a week. And those 20 people are still paying for this class, right? There are obviously now a wider amount of people that have been included in some of the ancillary aspects of, you know, especially Amazon. That's what, like, uh, took the whole thing to a different level. The web web uh, what's what's it called again? No, what's the what's it what's it do again? Hosting. Ho hosting. That's it. Yeah, Th that's what tripled our costs, and for that, then we had to then reach out to other people. But the core original donors, they've been paying for the transmission of this and the teaching of so many people and different places. That's ah, ridiculous. Yeah, any investment. I promised them that. I said that I will make sure that this will get eyes on it whether through videos, whether through audio, whether through, whether through the transcribed notes in the future when people are reading, and that will just carry on going. So you've got to always look for opportunities that are just not your standard, mediocre, bog-standard kind of just a uh, um, uh, Qajariya. All right, anyway, that's enough on that. Let's try to get a real kind of uh, uh, headway into our last section. Um, the, the, the part that we're going to be covering today وَتَصِحُّ خَلْفَ إِمَامٍ عَالٍ عَنْهُمْ وَيُكْرَهُمْ Let's do bit, bit by bit. Um, and the prayer is valid behind an imam who's above them. The prayer is valid behind an imam عَالٍ عَنْهُمْ He's above them, i.e. different floor, platform, etc. وَيُكْرَهُ إِذَا كَانَ الْعُلُوُ ذِرَاءً فَأَكْثَرُ But it is disliked if that height increase or that, uh, uh, you know, yeah, height increase or height difference, sorry, um, is more than a cubit, more than a dhira'a, okay, more than a cubit, or yeah, more than a cubit. Ka'imamatihi fittaq, such uh, likewise, it is disliked for an imam to pray in a taq. Actually, this is ironic because that's about as good an example. Basically, a mihrab that uh, the alcove, the prayer niche that we're talking about at the front of the masjid which is normally deeper than that, okay? And we'll explain this uh, in a second. Likewise, it is disliked for a person to do the non-obligatory prayers, so the supererogatory prayers, the sunnah, the nafil prayers, in the place of the obligatory prayer. 
in the place of the obligatory prayer unless there's a need for that unless there's a need for that you know lack of space etc we'll come to that or his extending his sitting after the prayer in the direction of the qibla so we're talking about the imam here okay this is all about the imam so this is you know when the imam says assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah astaghfirullah 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 then he might just you know make himself comfortable cross his legs carry on yani looking then go into his adhkar and everyone's behind him. That's what that's referring to, okay? Just looking at the qibla. This is the imam, all right? And if there are women in that gathering, and by extension, women that are open, meaning just like yani right there, then he remains there for a little bit longer. He remains there a little bit longer, meaning in, um, in that uh, facing qibla, position that's when it's justified okay i.e as opposed to turn around and just bog at them basically you know as you know you're just looking at them while they're getting up and uh, etc i don't know whether we'll get to this it'd be great if we did because it will finish a chapter um and it is disliked to stand between pillars if they break the line if they break the lines and here if they break the lines the idea being that they are of significant size and so they really kind of create a disturbance in the in the actual kind of lines and, and uh, the, the structure of the of the jama'ah. So that's what we're going to try and cover today. It's pretty optimistic. We've never done, I think, eight pages like that. But let's see, nine even. Um, but uh, it'd be good if we can keep it complete, you know, so that we don't have like a, a separate part. All right. So um, the prayer is valid behind an imam um, who is higher than them, such as, for example, he's... Uh, um, uh, uh, back in the back in the days in Ilford, when I used to pray in the the famous Albert Road Mosque, because now it's a huge mosque, a Brillo place. Um, uh, the entire front three rows was on a platform. The entire three forms was on a raised platform, and the rest of the entire Jama'ah hall was down below. So that's an example. The obvious example is the Imam praying upstairs in a two-floor mosque, and then the smaller examples are those masajid which for whatever reason have only a small space which the imam is praying in. The idea behind uh, that this being questionable, right, why is it even a discussion point, is that you're not meant to, you know, uh, idolize the imam, right? We, we, we certainly want to emphasize the importance of the imam and leadership and everything, as well as the mihrab itself and all these kind of Islamic symbols, but we don't want to lose control. And when you artificially do certain things, uh, especially when it's, to a person who's already enjoying uh, authority uh, and you add more to it artificially, this is problematic, right? But it's, a, it's okay if that person is, is uh, 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 on something, especially if there's a reason. And the reason that it's um, uh, okay, the reason that is that it's okay is because the Prophet ﷺ, you guys, those who have been with me on Umrah or Hajj, you know I tell the story a lot about Al-Hanana, right? The... Uh, the, the, the the, the sapling, the small tree that would cry and weep, that weeped because the Prophet وسلم, uh, changed from giving khutbah, holding it, to the member that was made for him وسلم, by the Ansariya, rich lady, wealthy lady in the Ansar, who's like, you know, you're a prophet and you're the, you know, this, that, you can't be giving, uh, you know, look at what the way these Christians do it, look at the way that they have this, and you're the leader of our state, the Prophet of Allah. 
and I'm going to get you a member made. I mean, the member itself wasn't some kind of grand Salahuddin kind of member. It was actually just very small three steps, actually. And they differed over the number of steps. But I want you to imagine, not much bigger than this bench. So what's that? 20 centimeters? Yeah? Something like that. Yeah, and it's small. Just the, 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 the function was not some beautiful thing to sit on. The function was that when he's standing, he's above the people so they can see him. So, um, obviously, uh, that was something that was useful. And there's some evidence in that, by the way, that things which are useful for the benefit of the believers, they are to be introduced into the religion without it becoming a bid'ah. Because you're not claiming that it's a religious requirement to do something on it, but you can see the usufruct of it. And so anyway, he accepted that and he used to stand on it when giving khutbah. But also very interestingly is that he prayed on it. So one day the Prophet ﷺ is in the jama'ah and it's at the front and he would stand on the mimbar praying. So imagine standing on a step. And the only thing you can do on a step is to Qiyam, Fatiha, and Ruku'ah, and then stand back up, and then he would step backwards and make sajda on the floor. Sallallahu Alaihi When he finished the prayer, he said, That I only did that so that you can follow me, so you can follow my actions, and that you learn my prayer. So that you learn my prayer. So this was the method of teaching. That, that he utilized so that the maximum amount of people could work and look and and it also this hadith shows many things that a person can do certain things outside of the norm to teach people it also shows that people in the prayer can look at certain things for a reason right the sunnah is to be looking at your um, uh, uh, position of sajda otherwise you've got to look down obligatory to not look around haram actually to look around but if there's a reason and a cause like that at the beginning for teaching purposes i've said before abdullah ibn abbas and that's going to in, inshallah come one day when the fiqh of death is released abdullah ibn abbas he used to recite the janazah prayer out loud for this reason right abdullah ibn abbas and other young companions they used to accept a circle that they do dhikr or quran reading out loud under this uh, uh, point not like what you see today where it's seen as an act of worship in of itself where people chant in circles of zikr and so on but rather when you're teaching people a zikr then for the moment of teaching like when we do uh, uh, especially in our aqsa program right we do those circles specifically where i will recite the adhkar and we'll get make sure everybody understands it and recites it to get it done as a group not in the not big not because of itself but rather because so that they get used to the wording understand the pronunciation maybe a little bit of an explanation it's more like a lesson really and so um for reasons of education there are some uh uh, uh there's some flexibility yeah um so so the question is is that does this only apply to the prophet sallallahu or the praying on the member no i don't think so if there's a group of people where the situation is needed where it's needed then i think there's space for that okay um in general you wouldn't do that because we have so many other alternatives right but you would have maybe like if you're if you're trying to rationalize this why would the prophet just not do it you know into small groups you know and say right i'm gonna stand in the middle all take it you know all come round, and then what the argument would would the response would be huge number of people right uh little, little time the whole thing has just kind of started to come together yeah, any of these kind of things. But I think there's some space. If there was a reason to do it, I think there's space. Yeah. Just like, uh, I mean, me and uh, Yasser, Sheikh Yasser, 
uh, was it last night? Last night? Monday night. Two nights ago. Um, we spoke about, you know, uh, modern Salah issues. Things that are not, not, not the norm. Things that you would never dream of ever accepting, right? We kind of didn't discuss it, but we touched upon the whole COVID thing. I mean, ridiculous, to be honest, right? People praying with massive gaps in between, right? Um, but it became completely acceptable because of the need. Imagine that person praying by themselves, the Jumu'ah, for example, with just one other person. I remember the Jumu'ah that we prayed here was just two of us, three of us, yeah? Uh, just to make sure that the system continued. What kind of Jumu'ah is that? The Jumu'ah that we brought back, people miles separate. What kind of Sunnah is that? But because of the need, so there's, there's flexibility when, when the need is there. All right. وَيُكْرَهُ إِذَا كَانَ الْعُلُوْ ذِرَاءً The ذِرَاء is a cubit. This is the classic cubit, okay? From the fingertip to the elbow. This is the ذِرَاء classically, arm span, okay? Arm span. Is it an arm span? No, I don't think it's an arm span. That's an arm span, isn't it? Now, arm's length is not because we said that last week, right? We said that when the word arm's length is used, even though that is the arm's length, arm's length means far away. Keep him at arm's length, right? Um, but it is an arm's length. And the name for an arm's length is called a cubit. That's the actual biblical phrase for that measure, the dhira'a. So they're saying that as long as three steps, think about that, is not longer, than, not higher than that. That gives you an idea of the, the fact that the pulpit of the Prophet ﷺ was first of all nothing like the one that you see today in the Rawdah. People look at that and they think, wow, that's crazy. Because it's high. There are how many steps? In These are later generations that add all of this. You know, it's very difficult to try to break. That's why I, I, I largely support these CGI type, um, uh, you know, these kind of uh, graphical go in like you were there type. There's one that was released about uh, the Prophet Wasallam's house to the masjid. And I looked at it a couple of times and I think it's very accurate. This is exactly how I understand it from the seerah. Um, but you look at that and it's like, it couldn't possibly be any more different than what you see today. People become so used to what they're looking at that they find it very difficult to connect with what it actually used to be. So a member, when we think of a pulpit, don't be thinking of something high. When you think of a pulpit in your head, you know I've told you before, when, when you study fiqh, you must always contextualize every statement that you're reading. Like when you hear them taking a shower, we spoke about this before. A shower means standing in the middle of the water that you're using. There is no drain. There's no hole. It's in your house. A curtain at best. Or you tell the people to leave the room because you don't, can't afford to have a curtain. So you've got your tin pot bath or kind of thing and you're pouring water upon yourself in that and your feet will become dirty with the remaining stagnant water. Which is why the Prophet ﷺ would always wash one foot and step out, then wash the other foot and step out. And that's always the final act. So every time you cover a point of fiqh or hadith, you've always got to transport yourself back and understand it as back then. So whenever you hear the word pulpit, you should think step. You should think one of those little stools. That's what you should think of. Don't think of the, the masjid pulpit of today. Does that mean that the masjid pulpit of today is a bit out whatever? No, I don't think so. I don't think anyone's saying that it's a religious thing that we want you to have it this high. But if someone did, then there's a problem with that. But if people are saying, this is the way that our mosques are, this is the functionality, etc., then I think that's okay. Anyway, um, so the imam should not be high. Why Why dhira? Uh, why is dhira being uh, used uh, as a, a unit of measure? 
their evidence is a hadith that if a person is to lead a people then he should not stand in a place which is higher than them should they should not stand that is higher than their, their position right now this hadith doesn't necessarily speak about a dhira'a but they kind of estimated that this would be a, a, a cubit from the, from the point of view of a sajda. Um, but regardless, the hadith is weak. Our response to this hadith is that even if you were going to go with this argument, the hadith is weak. Anyway, Sheikh Uthameen says, but anyway, playing advocate, yani, let's say that the hadith is authentic. We can reconcile these uh, narrations. We can reconcile them uh, by saying that First of all, we know that it's allowed to do that because the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ praying on the member. So we know that it's for a need. We can go on to it. Um, but we'll, we'll say, okay, it's allowed, but normally the, the pulpit or the, the member is not higher than a zira' anyway. So there you go. So we'll go with that. Where you're allowed to be higher, but don't be higher than a zira'. He goes, we can say that just to keep them uh, happy, the other side uh, happy. But he goes, but I'll be honest, he goes, um, is there really an issue of dhira'a, people being very specific about a cubit? He goes, look, there's no evidence for the cubit, but normally the pulpits are not bigger than a cubit anyway. Now that would work then. If you heard that today, you'd say, what are you talking about? Yani, don't normally the pulpit is like three times that. So again, it's a useful reminder that we look back at what it used to be back then. Sheikh says that the, the khulasa, and we can summarize the situation, is that our author, alayhi rahmatullah, he doesn't see a problem with an imam being higher and above the people. It's just that it's disliked for it to be really high. Okay? He goes, the second position on this issue, the second statement, the second opinion on the matter of standing and high and whatever, whatnot, is that it is not disliked at all, whatever, uh, if the imam is higher. You don't need to worry about height. You don't need to worry about the nature. It is what it is. Because the 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 hadith that they're using is weak and the hadith in Bukhari of the Prophet ﷺ praying higher is there so who are you to basically then limit it to a certain height etc etc he says something really interesting uh, Sheikh says um, some of the scholars explain this concept this whole chapter in reference to an imam praying by himself so they said all of these evidences about like disliked blah blah are only applicable to an imam praying by himself because they're putting that guy on a pedestal, literally, right? Uh, but if there's someone else with him, then all dislike is removed. Because then it's just a practicality thing. Like if he's on his own, then it's like a, you know, a pompous thing or whatever. But if there is people with them, then it's a case of whoever got there first. And it's a practicality thing and it's a space thing and whatever. And so therefore, there is no uh, dislike in, in this uh, uh, matter. Alright? There's no, there's no issue in this matter. Sheikh then says, uh, what about if the people are higher than the Imam? So this is the classic, yani, most mosques, right? Where you pray on the ground floor, which would be this, and then we've got the floor, right? Uh, like for example, in the new masjid, the sisters will be above, right? So, um, what's, what's the ruling on that? Um, uh, and Sheikh says that, no, there is no problem with that. There's no difficulty, there's no dislike, and there's no discussion about that amongst the scholars um, uh, on that matter. Alright, next issue is, what is disliked is to pray in ataq. Ataq is one of these uh, kind of like mihrabs that is either built into the wall or uh, an artificial thing like we have here. 
So you'd think, why on earth would that be when it, it obviously uh, it is uh, it, it has such a function? Uh, the word mihrab, of course, in the Quran, um, mentioned for Maryam alayhi salam, and for Dawud alayhi salam. The mihrab in the Quran, the mihrab of the of the language, is not a defined structure like this. I want you to know that, right? The word mihrab is understood to come from the concept of uh, al, al, uh, 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 there's, there's two opinions. One is harb and one, one is haraba, to flee. So one is to fight and one is to flee. Both can be explained. If it is to flee, right, then it's a shaitan fleeing from that area because that's the part that he hates most. Yani it's a place of religious intensity, of, of worship. That's what he hates most. Yeah? Um, that's one opinion. And we know that's a hadith, of course. The Prophet ﷺ said that when the Mu'addin gives the adhan, then the shaitan flees. And then he comes back and then he starts to make noise and whatever to try to kind of, you know, block it out. It's killing him, basically. That's one opinion. The second opinion, I think, is more stronger, which is harb, all right? Which is war. And that's because it's a place of war. Ibadah and salah is a fight, isn't it? For you to f- stay focused and shaitan to whisper, you know, what's happening for dinner and what we're doing afterwards. And then I'm now focused and shaitan saying, no, 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 listen, let's do dessert now as well. And then yani, you're, and it's just back and forth, back and forth. Then you've forgotten, is it the third raka'ah or the fourth raka'ah? We were speaking about this last week, right? How important it is. I wrote about this once actually, a year back or a couple of years back or whenever I wrote about it, that Salatul Asr has some ajeeb yani, nature that if you're praying Salatul Asr, you will always mess up that third rakah. You will not know whether it's the third rakah or the fourth rakah. That's my practical experience, especially in the Jama'ah. If you're praying behind an Imam, something happens in that prayer. You have got to have that, that, that focus for that third and that fourth because it messes up. I don't know what's going on. But that's a war. That's open, declared war, fight between us and, and uh, him. So the mihrab is symbolic of that kind of struggle because it's the area of salah, right? That's the, the idea. So this is an Islamic concept, but not the structure. So when you see the mihrab of Maryam, that's because she was always praying in a certain corner in Masjid al-Aqsa. When you see the mihrab of Dawud that was in his tower, in his castle, in his palace, he was always praying. It means an area that you take. Even a room can be a mihrab. So the mihrab of our mothers, grandmothers, our wives are those areas that they're always praying when they get time. You know, they're always, they're running around the house doing X, Y, and Z, using the whole house. But when it comes to salah, they kind of go to a little place that they always go. It's more comfortable for them. They keep their prayer stuff there, the hijab, the X, their Y. So this is the mihrab of the house. All right? Even though it's a sunnah to spread prayers around, for the obligatory prayer, that's fine. Because that's the most important prayer. So we should have stability for the obligatory one. And then the sunnah one should be prayed uh, uh, you know, as many places as possible. We'll come to that in a second. So this is a good thing. So if this at the front and it's shaped for a space to be someone to go in, how can it be disliked? Well, their argument is, is that if a person is praying in a mihrab, then the people can't see his actions. And you, you can see and you can feel, again, the contextual nature of this kind of dislike. It's not an age of uh, microphones and speakers and, and, and the like. And the visual is very important to be able to kind of keep an eye on the imam and see what's going on. There could be, you know, people not uh, uh, being clear on what's happening, what position the imam's in. And so they said that, uh, that this dislike 
is because he, the author is referring to one which is quite kind of you know narrow when you're in and once you're in you're out of out of you and other scholars from the same madhab they said that if it's very open and wide and there's no danger of like you know people being swallowed up by it and you can see then it's absolutely uh, fine there is no uh, problem especially when like in this one here like uh, uh, very well first of all ours wouldn't fit a person in any way and secondly most mihrabs are really only for the place of sajda you know right so if you actually push this musalla to the the front line you'll see that his head generally will just enter so this is completely fine doesn't come into the prohibition anyway but if that was a bit deeper and you went right in this is what they would be uh, 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 this is what they'll be speaking uh, about okay um, so Sheikh Uthameen he makes a point he goes uh, Sheikh says you know it is important that we are clear that the author is probably speaking about something that you enter but the general mihrabs that we see in the masjid this is not what's being spoken about therefore these are not disliked Sheikh goes indeed they are recommended. These things are recommended. He goes, how can I say they're recommended when they were not used in the time of the Prophet ﷺ? And you, to, see, to call something recommended requires a shari'i evidence. And if he didn't even indicate it, advise towards it, didn't yani, use one, he had the ability to get it done, why didn't he? How can we say that? Sheikh says, no, no, the correct opinion on this issue is that it is permissible uh, for, to, for a place to uh, have a, uh, a mihrab. We don't command a people that, listen, you're making a masjid, you've got to put a mihrab in. And neither do we, when we come to a mihrab, say, you're prohibited to have, uh, a, have a mihrab. This is against the sunnah, this didn't exist. Which, by the way, you do have some Muslims, right? Contemporaries that say things like that. This is a bid'ah, mihrab is a bid'ah. Whether it's inside the masjid or outside the masjid, you might say, what do you mean outside the masjid? Well, some masajid, what they do, again, don't think of these kind of, you know, lots of resources, whatever. Think about how you quickly put up a mosque in the eastern uh, sides in the Muslim countries. You do chardawali very, very quickly. And then when it comes to the front, the brick wall just goes like that. Do you understand what I mean? Right? So the wall itself of the masjid is actually out, right? It's, it's jutting out. So... Um, uh, clearly, this is a fundamental introduction of design, similar to domes, similar to minarets, similar to the musalla janamaz, as we call it. Okay, all are similar to prayer lines. These are all areas of contention that some scholars say this is bid'ah, this is bid'ah. You'll find them. They go in and they kick the janamazes out of the way, like the madness that people, right? They say that you can't have lines, you can't have designs, you can't write them down, um, um, you can't write them down either. So. Um, and this is obviously, it is important to take seriously because um, if there are people that see this as religious requirements, then we've got a problem, right? And, you know, I'll tell you something, on the musalla, there could be a point there. There are some people that won't pray without musalla, right? They develop a, 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 a karahat yani, uh, for the floor, praying on the floor, and they make their excuses and things like that. And, uh, bro, how many of you people you know that can't leave a musalla like that and want to fold it over? Right? You know, shaitan's going to sit on it or whatever, some bakwas. They're going to pray on it. I mean, if that was true, it would be great, man. Keep it open. Just add another five there for them to pray on it. But I mean, you, you, now, I ask you now, if there was no religious, 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 what, what am I thinking of? 
no um well sanctification yeah sanctification of a musalla would we even have that culture you, you know what i'm trying to say if we had no musallas would we have a a concept of shaitanul prayer not praying it fold it it's makruh astaghfirullah you know half it three quarters it one dog ear it yeah the whole discussion that exists comes out of us creating the problems that make, does that make sense so i want you to know that even though these people are crazy who go around and do these things that get rid of the disc get rid of that, it's not unfounded right there's always a basis and a caution that needs to be there when you're introducing new things so sheikh atameen now speaks about um uh, uh he says something very interesting he goes that when it comes to the mihrab, actually, if someone said that this is recommended to have in a masjid, that's probably closer to the truth than to say that it's disliked. This is a big statement from Uthameen, by the way. It actually, it's a huge statement because he knows how sensitive the discussion is and he knows that it wasn't something at the time of the Prophet and other companions. It's entirely new for the reasons that the people from a society point of view have put in and to say that it's recommended is a shari statement, which normally is happening when there's an evidence. There's no evidence. And so he's now basically using the concept that if the people find a benefit in it, then that's good. And as you know, this statement can be abused. If people find a benefit in it, and that's where things like tasbih comes from, right? And people walking around with tasbih now, it's allowed to use something to help you keep count. Nowadays, you know, uh, you got uh, counters. You got oh, Shazad Slim's gone, man. Shazad Slim's got the cutest little thing that he uses in Tawaf. You know, like a little old lady. Yeah, you know, he's got that little thing that he put the finger on it. Yeah, I've only seen it on grandmother's hands. Oh, Shazad Slim obviously is a grandmother. Yeah, right. So he 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 put the the, the thing and it's got seven beads. So I looked at. It, I go, this is worse than not even using anything, because you're holding that. Which is the one that's gone down? I'm a disaster in tawaf, by the way. Whenever I'm making tawaf, I look around at people. Don't say that. What is that? What? Oh, it's a digital one. You see, this is where the bid'ah goes, you see? I mean, look at that. There's a benefit in it, yeah. Exactly. That's what they will say. There's a benefit in it. But that Salim's one is one, the one I don't get. I like I don't conceptually understand because if the people have problem with counting tawaf, the problem is not counting to seven, is it? Do you know what I mean? He's got seven beads on it. I like, oh, bro, I can count to seven. The question is that is the one that I've put down the one that's coming up or the one that I've done? <laughs> when you get OCD like that, then you're, it doesn't. I was like, how's that solve anything? He goes, no, no, I only put it down when I've done it. I took the thing and it's seven beads that flow. I go, how? It's not even strong enough. Like, if you let go of it, the second one will fall down. It's like, you can <laughs> resets. So, huh? Hairband. Putting one finger in, second finger in, third finger in. You know that, that the, the Hajj Ministry app does it for you automatically. Yeah. So the Hajj Ministry app, if you turn it on, right? it will tell you that you've done seven by GPS. Yeah, now that makes sense. And I think there's a Salam app or something like that. That also has it as well. Yeah, so it's, it, you know, but where do you go with this kind of stuff? I have no problem 
in saying for the Muslim, even though it is, it's actually religious in nature, the beads, right? Rosary beads, and even someone was saying that it's before then as well. I always thought that, I, I knew that it was associated with previous civilizations and incantations and litanies, but it's only the Catholics who really went hard at, you know, the concept of Hail Mary's, let's, let's say, you know, 10 for blessing, let's say 100 for expiation, you know, that kind of concept. So they kept, you know, whatever. I, I, and obviously we have numbers. My point is not so much the issue of counting, what it turns into. You know, you've got that, that stereotype of a person who's there standing in front of you with a prayer bead, speaking to you whilst you're doing this and that. Well, what the fish are you doing? Like, what are you trying to tell me? What, that you're religious? You want me to give you a bleep about you? I know what? Yeah, I know what is it that you want me to see you as? That's where it starts losing kind of, you know, all sense. So anyway, the whole point is, is that there are definitely benefits in many things. But there does need to be some kind of standard. Anyway, Sheikh says, listen, I have no problem with the mihrab. As for the claims of some of the Muslims that it's prohibited, shouldn't be there because it resembles the mihrab of the Christians, then this is baseless. Now, the mihrab of the Christians, I think they mean the altar. Right? Because that's what's normally at the front. Now, I'm not, you know, au fait with this, but I understand that back in the day, they would offer the sacrifice or sacrifices on the altar, at the front, uh, uh, in front of people, in front of the whatever. Uh, and that's what Sheikh Uthameen is referring to. nasara yani The altars of um, the Christians. The madabih means the place that you make zabah. Right? So a block that you put the neck of the animal down on, basically. Which is an altar, right? Um, but that's clearly not the same. Yani, what they're using it for, we don't, put, we don't do dhabah uh, in the masjid. We don't do it at the front of the people. And ours is entirely functional. And it genuinely is. You guys, I told you my story about Mauritania, right? Well, that I didn't know the masjid direction. I couldn't work it out until I saw it from the outside. That's how simple the masajid are. Right? It's like literally there's nothing to see. Even, subhanAllah, um, the, the, the difficulty of creating the arch from the outside and then from the inside being the same was a cost. So it's cheaper for them to make it a straight wall and then just build a, a dodgy one on the outside. You know what I mean? Just to indicate that's the front of the mosque. That's cheaper, obviously, because to do it the other way around, you've got to have proper engineers and stuff. You know, you, you need to understand it properly. So a lot of the mosques are like that from the outside. Inside, you've got no idea. No idea. There's no carpets. There's no musallas. Right, you walk in. You, normally, what would you say? I told you. This, I, I told this story, and I think protect this house. Normally, you look for the um, uh, mushafs, right? Mushafs are never at the back of the masjid. Mushafs are at the front of the masjid, right? So when you see the mushafs at the front, you go to the front. Even if there's nothing there, even if there's no musalla, you at least know that the front is because that's where the mushafs are. There was not a single mushaf there because they all memorized it, right? This was like I was in a community of, of, of students, like proper hardcore mental students, right? Memorize the Quran. Nobody has a mushaf. There's no such thing as a mushaf there. It's not, it's not funded by the Saudis where Fahad Press has sent. No, nothing there, bro. They write the mushaf on boards, on the loha, and, uh, you know, wash it off. They write it like 50 times, wash it off, right? There's no... Uh, so if it wasn't for that little tinkum mihrab on the outside, I would never, ever have guessed... The, the direction of the Qibla. Now, then of course, it became far more, uh, uh, far more um, advanced. So when we went to Uzbekistan, right, we went into one particular mihrab, which isn't a million miles away from this one, by the way. If you look at the shape of this, 
This is the natural speaker system that creates the echo. And so what happens is that when you recite into the mihrab, at the lowest level, this reverberates the sound back. At the highest level, like what they did in Uzbeki mosques back in the day, that the domes increase in size as you go further back. The idea is, is that the sound wave that reverberates in the first one gets caught in the second one, in the third one, and it goes back a hundred meters to people behind. Bro, not made up. I sent Yasser forward. He goes, you go to the back. He went to the front and he started reciting normal uh, recitation. And he goes, I, I kept the group back with me. He started reciting and he goes that I'm going to not make it out loud. Tell me what I'm reciting. He was reciting Surah Fath, I think, or whatever it was. And I said, when he came, I could hear it. I could, bro, at least a hundred meters. It's the craziest design ever. Each dome picking up the next one, next one, next one. Obviously, the Uthmanis, they went to that, um, uh, 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 that level, that depth, right? And they created these domes fundamentally. The minaret, for example, is clear that the higher you are, the louder that the voice kind of uh, spreads and is important to let everybody know when you know you don't have the ability to speak. So these obviously have functions, and um, uh, and so he goes, how can you say that when the Prophet ﷺ didn't do it? And he says that the Prophet ﷺ might not have done it because he didn't have a need for it. It was too expensive to do at that time. There's other priorities. The state is a fledgling moment. So he goes, uh, he goes, there could be many reasons. As long as you don't make it an issue of religion and you use it as an issue like, like the, the, this, how useful is that, right? The prayer timetables, right? Even that can be argued, that's a bid'ah. Probably, out of everything that we've mentioned, that's probably the best basis for being a bid'ah. Because actually, it is very disliked, as we've spoken before, that a person comes in and knows that it's time to pray because it says... 8 o'clock is the time for Isha, and you're standing around and the Imam's not there. That is haram, actually. So that timetable is the only thing that's going to make you do that. If you don't know what the time is, you're going to come in, you're going to pray to Raka, you're going to sit down. So think about back in the day. Did they have any idea? No. They've heard the Adhan. Right. What does the Adhan mean? Isha prayer time has entered. What do they know? Normally that the prayer is, depending upon the prayer, this prayer is going to be soon after the Adhan, or it's going to be delayed. So they make an andaza and they come. What does the hadith in Bukhari say? That the Prophet and sorry, that the adhan for Isha would go and the companions would be coming in. What would they be doing? Their heads are going like that. They're all sitting there waiting for the salah. Or sitting there waiting for the salah. None of them got up to make wudu. They're all sitting. They don't know what time the Prophet is going to come. You don't hang around, stand around, what's going on, you know. You know what I mean? Right? And that's what happens here in our masajid when you have a timetable now that's so there is a shout to say this is wrong because of the behavior that it creates at the same time we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater it's incredibly important and useful right and we use it and we educate people listen if it's eight o'clock and there's nobody here sit down or just chill out and you know whenever the imam comes in that's when you stand up you want to use it to be able to understand when to come to the mosque that's fine but don't take it any further than that all right Because he carries on, وَفِيهِ مَصْلَحَةً لِأَنَّهَا تَبَيُّنْ لِلنَّاسِ مَحَلَّ الْقِبْلَةِ فَكَيْفَ نُكْرِهُهَا He goes that um, because 
there's actually a real benefit for the people that's showing them, for example, the Qibla. So how on earth can we say it's disliked? So the warning is you can't take it as a religious matter, but he's saying that in general, even though he said it's permissible, but he goes, my, I lean towards it being recommended because of how much help it gives, how much support it gives the people in various aspects of the religion without it being religious. Almost like saying, like, we're not going to, you know, certain items of clothing, for example, or certain modes of transport that are going to help you get to a place fresher or quicker or easier. We might not say this is religiously recommended, but it's a good thing because it's going to make you more fresh in your act of worship uh, when you are uh, uh, there. Um, and then he says, and then he says the statement, Right? So... Uh, this is at top of 304 for the people who are um, uh, who are uh, uh, following in the in the in the in the in the commentary. It's dislike for the imam to pray, pray supererogatory prayers, so that's non-obligatory prayers, in the place of the obligatory prayer. Uh, uh, prayer. The evidence for that is, firstly, what was narrated from the Prophet ﷺ, in which he said uh, was reported to have said. لا يصلي الإمام في مقامه الذي صلى فيه المكتوبة حتى يتنحى عنه. That the Imam should not pray in the place that he prays his obligatory prayer until he turns away from the people, until he moves away. Uh, sorry, not from people. Until he moves away from it, meaning the place. This hadith, unfortunately, is weak because it has a break in the chain. Noted by Imam Abu Dawood, hadith number six one six. Okay, this hadith is weak. Second evidence that you should uh, not pray in the same not 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 pray in the second, not pray in the same place is if a person was to do that, ربما إذا تطوع في مود المكتوبة يظن أن من شاهده أنه يعني this is an interesting point. He said that it's possible that you will confuse the people behind confuse the people behind. If a person just finished if the Imam just finishes salah and then he stands up and prays right. Maybe the people will think that this is a mistake in the prayer. So you know, by the way, just so that you, in case you don't know, if the imam gives salam early and he works out that he gave salam early and he still has one raka'ah to pray or he made a mistake, you're not meant to be having a big chat and discussion and break. You stand back up straight away, right? And then you carry on the prayer and then you do sajda sahwa at the end of it. It's possible that if the imam got into the habit of not moving from his place and praying straight away into his sunnah right where he is that the people could think that and that would then be obviously causing uh, uh, some confusion especially if it's just after an obligation these are the two reasonings that are given but there are more yes So do you think it's a mahrab to make 
Because this is simple, so? Yeah. Yeah, they go go they go to a whole different level. So the the argument for the for the people online, so that you can hear what the 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 argument being made is that. What about the hadith that, that obviously refer to the end of times, which is another uh, interesting point as well, because there's a discussion among scholars that um, when, when the end of times or bad times are being mentioned and you describe something will happen as a sign of the end of times, is it by necessity a bad thing? Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah? Like, for example, if when you start competing with one another in a building high building for example like everybody knows right um when the women become 50 to that of a, like are these all in of itself negative or do you have to take it by case by case basis that i just want to put that as a caveat so that you're aware of that discussion the particular hadith is about when the masajid becomes so extravagant and you know all of the kind of luxury etc etc this is obviously a negative uh, the, the majority of scholars saw this as a negative sign they saw it as a sign of israf and the things that are happening that explain that then must themselves be negative so uh, isn't this uh, uh, the point being made isn't this therefore an evidence that we should not have these kind of things and the response to that from the majority of scholars, what we, what we see from uh, mostly Ahl-Sunnah and our Imams, is that they say everything is contextual, right? So for example, this right now, uh, I, I know people on, on, the, on the camera can't see, but our mihrab is as basic as it gets, right? It's literally a piece of, you know, a couple of pieces of wood put together and whatever. This would be something amazing at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. Absolutely no doubt. Like if a person was going to argue about, you know, uh, luxury, whatever, then this would probably fall into it. And that's why I think it's important, like the position of the scholars, they said everything is yunasib al-waqi'ah. Yani it is all relative to the time and the reality of the people that's there. Like this carpet. If you look at this carpet, it's also as basic as it gets. Uh, it looks basic, I don't know. But these carpets are, what do they call them? Wilson. What's, what's the... Huh? Wilton, Wilton, right? These Wilton-type carpets are actually multiple times more expensive than their cheaper counterparts because the, uh, they're harder wearing and, uh, and the like. When we look at it, we wouldn't think that this is a very expensive carpet. Actually, these type of carpets, this particular one, is actually quite expensive. So at what point do we draw the line of israf and extravagance the answer would be when the people consider it to be extravagant, meaning the qawm at that time. So when we, like you said, I'm not talking about that mihrab. You see, you and all of us look at that mihrab, we don't think it's extravagant. We also look at this, uh, at this carpet, we don't think it's extravagant. If you were to go into Masjid Nabawi, anything you look at looks extravagant. Like, like, like everything and anything. And I remember once, I remember once, and by the way, um, I just come back with a, a group just now and this is the first time that I've been to Mecca like since the new extension was built and I've spent so much time in the extension like intentionally first of all our hotel was outside right and so the extension is close but just generally um, uh, uh, I don't know what the main reason was but we started to pray more and I've got some knee problems at the moment so I need carpet right and so it's close and it's got carpet and it's very it's got a great connection to the Kaaba the way that they've designed it is that it is um, direct view of the Kaaba so I started praying in there a lot 
Al-Anakassam, if you start looking around that masjid, it will make you, it will, it will blow your mind. Like, they have lanterns which are the size of lifts. So each lantern is a lift, a proper like eight-person lift. And you're thinking how it's being held, and it's being held by one single metal rod. And you're thinking, Auzu Billah, if that metal rod comes down, all those people underneath it are shaheed 100%. And that's the, that's the lanterns. The chandelier, subhanAllah, how many of them are there in the extension? Each chandelier is like about 30 meters yani, in diameter. It's like the size of this masjid. It's so opulent. It is so opulent. It is so crazy. Now, now, if I tell you, I mean, the, 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 the chandeliers aside, put the chandeliers aside. And I'm no supporter of those people and what they're doing and all the money that, that's public money. So I don't think that ever needs to be argued. But to throw a counter-argument, when you see the walls that have got the built-in AC vents in, right? And with using brass so that it doesn't go a rot because of all the uh, moisture, because AC ultimately is moisture, right? And so they have to upgrade the material that's being used. So it can't just be used, it can't be just plyboard, right? Or plasterboard. The fact that it's marble is intentional because it maintains the temperature low. The brass that's being used is also so that it doesn't corrode. I'm not making excuses. It sounds like I'm making excuses. But when it's 50 degrees outside and you walk into that masjid and you don't want to leave that masjid and you just want to sit there and make a guard and read and pray, and then you're kind of thinking, yeah, you know what? <laughs> So the point is that I agree with you. It's a very fine line. And um, I think we've got to be careful that we don't lose the plot. But I think that when it comes to the costs in the majority of masajid, like the normal mosques that people build, I think that they are about as suited to the type of basic decor that one would expect in a masjid. But Allah knows best. All right. Um, so, Sheikh says, Sheikh Uthameen says, that this uh, situation of, yeah, uh, that this situation of uh, praying in the place of the, uh, the, the Imam, um, he goes that it would seem like the author, in disliking this action, would be referring to this, whether it's before the prayer or after the prayer. So supererogatory prayer before the Fard prayer or after the uh, Fard prayer. And Sheikh goes, of course, this is not the case. This is only speaking about after the prayer. And also, it would indicate that the one who's follower, like a normal person in the masjid, that, that, that uh, it's okay for him to do that. It's okay for him to do that, not just for the, just not the imam. So if someone who is praying normally, um, then it's okay. He goes, these are what you can take. He goes, Sheikh Uthameen makes a statement. He goes, listen, either way, we've got to make an intervention here and say, number one, always it is a sunnah to pray the sunnah prayer, nafal prayer at home. It's an actual sunnah so that the homes don't get turned into graveyards. And so a person shouldn't be doing that anyway, number one. Number two, there might be a reason that you can't go home. It might be noisy, might be X, might be Y, might be late, and so you want to stay. So if you're going to then there's a very important hadith of Muawiyah which is in Sahih Muslim and he said that the Prophet told us that we must not connect a prayer with a prayer except by some speech 
or by leaving. Right? What that means, like you see packs do all the time, by the way. And it's really so unfortunate that you see that the very, very few other nations do it. But from an ethnicity point of view, Asians are really big on it, right? And that is that soon as the Salaam Alaikum Rahmatullah stand straight up and pray the Nafal or the Sunnah there and then, which is the exact opposite of what the Hadith states. The Hadith states that you should yani, make either Adhkar, Astaghfirullah, 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 make some time go by, Allahumma Anta Salam. Shaykh Uthameen says that three istighfars, Allahumma Anta Salam and Kaslam, al aqal as a bare minimum should be uh, said. But kalam here doesn't just mean tasbih. You might turn around and say something to a person, whatever. Break the zone. Break it from a physical point of view. Break it from a time point of view as well. Or you physically leave. You uh, physically leave here means the position that you're in. Not go out the masjid. Even though going out the masjid is the actual preferred thing. To go home is the actual preferred uh, 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 thing and so this by, by the way this hadith uh, in Sahih Muslim is in the chapter of Jum'ah 883 okay that we should not connect two prayers with uh, together except that we speak or we leave that um, area or we leave that area. Um, and I think what we do, I don't think that, you know, trying to rush this uh, is uh, is going to work. إِلَّا مِنْ حَاجَةٍ Unless there's, of course, يعني حَاجَةٍ And حَاجَةٍ is a need. It's not a necessity. Haja could be, and Sheikh gives an example. He goes that he looks to leave the masjid and the lines are full. Right? And if the lines are full, then, you know, uh, it's best then you just stay where you are and then move a little bit to the side. And you should pray. And we will speak about this when we start the new year, inshallah. Um, but uh, it is important to know that there are many benefits in taking it yani, easy, not um, uh, praying immediately in the same place, spreading the various places that you pray is a, is a requirement. I want you to remember that both in the masjids. Remember this, uh, the hadith, the Prophet ﷺ didn't like the person who chooses one place and he described that per person like a camel. That they have like just a one set place that they only pray. Move around when you come to the obligation, right? And if you're there early, pray in different areas. Don't have say, I have a favorite spot. And um, don't say I have a favorite spot. And especially at home, right? Uh, 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 because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that the earth will say about, yani, akhbaraha. It will tell us about what happened on it, right? So it's a zalzala. We know that um, uh, our abuses of the earth will be witnessed and will be complained about by the earth, but also when we pray, when we look after it, where we do adhkar, and you, don't, you want to spread that as much as possible. So you should always pray in random places. I always do that, right? Depending upon time. So for example, in my house, I will often pray in like just off the stairs. I will pray... Uh, in the hallway where everyone's asleep, right? Because I know that it doesn't become a hallway anymore, right? Because it's not allowed to pray in a hallway because you're getting in the way of the people. So when the people are not there and it doesn't then become a hallway, it becomes another part of the house. This is a place that nobody else is going to pray, so I'm going to pray in it. The rest of the house and the rooms, I know everyone's going to pray in it and here and there. So you've got to spread the places so that every place can be bear witness for you 
make yani, uh, uh, an ev- yani bear witness, be an evidence uh, for you. Um, there is an ex- exception to this, and I'll end with this, considering we're speaking about Mecca and uh, Medina. The, the, the exception is that if the place itself for, remember, Sunnah prayer always, always better at home, never in a masjid. Yeah? The only exception is that if there is a specific excellence in praying a Sunnah prayer in a masjid. And there are very few examples of that uh, other than in the Rawda. Possibly other than in the Rawda. And in the Rawda, uh, Akwa, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Salam ibn Akwa, uh, uh, he used to pray. So for those folks who have ever seen my video that I recorded on the Rawda or have seen me explain it, you know what the Prophet Sallallahu uh, uh, the mihrab area of the Prophet ﷺ is and then just to the right hand side of that just to the right hand side actually really uh, close to where the Hanana uh, pillar is right there's a small area there it's nothing there but it's a small area there this is said to be the area in which the Mus'haf used to be kept now when I say the Mus'haf there were no Mus'haf at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. There were just sheets, random different parts, pieces here and there. And those people who needed it, they would refer to it here and there. But they memorized it, right? That's the whole point. But when they were able to finally collect it in its complete sense, right? Then it used to be placed there, right? So the example would be where the, 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 the member is. So if you're looking at our uh, mihrab, where the member is, is where the mushaf used to be kept. To the right-hand side of the right hand of the imam. That's in the Rawda. This area, Imam Malik used to be considered to be the recommended place to pray because of the location of the Mus'haf, because he used to see the Prophet Sallallahu also. Or, or, the reason that they used to keep the Mus'haf there is because they saw the Prophet Sallallahu pray non-obligatory prayers there. And that was very few. He would pray very few non-obligatory prayers. He had, you know, the houses and the full access to it. He would pray to Hajjid at home, Taraweeh, yani conceptually at home, and also behind the houses. Not in the, the Rawda itself. So it's mostly he's getting to the masjid early. Not enough people. He's praying tahir to the masjid basically. Because there's nothing else to pray. People are not ready. So he would choose that place there. Also of course the Ustawana of Aisha as it's known. The pillar just behind where Aisha used to see him uh, often uh, uh, pray. And um, used to consider it to be a bit special. So that's, uh, that's uh, that. And the last point I know is best. All right, let's do questions. Let's do, do final points, whether on the subject or off. What have we got uh, there online? Uh, While we're finding the questions uh, online, anyone have anything to do? Yes, see how. Leading on to the question of the topic we were just talking about decorating mosques. Yes. Can there be a case made to decorate or really make an all inspiring mosque to plug rows in the hearts of disbelievers like the eyes of Wallahi, it's a good question. Uh, Fasih is saying that, is there any space to make a model mosque? Is there any space to create something that becomes an ayah in ayatullah? You need to show the people, you know, especially non-Muslims, um, you know, the power and the strength and the honor of Islam. And I have to say it's difficult, right? It's difficult, why? Because as you heard before, generally the concept of extravagance in masajid is prohibited. But then you've got to ask yourself, like I'm going to put something to you, right? I want you to tell me what you think. You know when I see that, that, that chandelier, which I'm looking at it and I'm trying to estimate, I reckon it must cost a million pounds. 
a million pounds yeah the same people that made that one million pounds that's making me at least feel comfortable in this masjid has just spent a hundred million pounds prize money for some plum to come and win LIV golf yeah and he's just put down a hundred million pounds for the winner of the uh, Jeddah Grand Prix and they've just spent a billion pounds to try to you know and so you say to yourself I'd rather they take that money because they're not going to go and do XYZ with that money yeah what I want them to do with it so the less that's spent on all of this other or diverted to this I'm not going to support the idea but I'm not going to hate on it either I'm not going to like think uh, that this is like the worst thing ever do you know what I mean there could be a lot worse uses of that money from a people or whatever that don't have a great track record I want to say that I think there's some space for that I think that the story of Suleiman is the evidence I did explain that in Dominion I do believe that after Suleiman tried his best to use his wealth in a way to completely bedazzle Bilqis especially in recreating a version of her throne trying the whole wow shock and awe method it didn't work first time didn't work second time and the third time where he the resources were on a whole different level the resources to create to create a a a, a ground at a time where glass what did not exist in a transparent form and to make Bilqis believe that she was in water when the cost and the technology and the effort which would be billions in today's money right to create a, just a tiled floor of glass is an evidence and of course she accepted yani, Islam as a result of that I think there's space for people to do that but we should be careful in trying to promote that we should be careful it's true it's true you're, 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 you're right when you look at when you look at some of the yeah yeah I, I have to say I find it very difficult to argue against that I mean next week we're going to Aqsa inshallah right and the first thing that we will see and it will blow people's minds when they go up that steps and they see the Dome of the Rock Dome of the Rock is something which makes people cry when they see it Habibi it's not even Islamic it's nothing actually it's just beautiful that's all it is I mean what is that the rock isn't even something Islamic let alone the dome on top of it and yet after the Kaaba surely it's got to be the most far more than Masjid Nabu in my opinion it's the most recognizable symbol of Islam after the Kaaba so where do you stop where does it go the whole situation's uh, I don't know Saima oh didn't okay never mind <laughs> sorry calling you out like that Hafsa yeah yeah no 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 I'm not saying that I'm saying that you need to be aware that there is a discussion among scholars that said some of the statements are just factual right a lot of people think that whatever you mention at the end of time so and so, so that this must mean that's the worst thing ever but what about if we said no that's just a, 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 a landmark a factual moment when this happens then the now the day of judgment of course that's a negative thing because we know that the day of judgment does not occur except upon the worst of people you don't want to be around at those times. The Prophet ﷺ said that the believers will, their souls will be taken up before that happens. Nabi ﷺ said it will not. Yani, la tuqam illa ala nas, nas. 
It will not be established except upon the worst of the people. So that is negative, but the sign might not be. For example, the return of the Jazeera Arab to vegetative, you know, cultivated lands and greenery. That's not a negative. That's a buzz, right? But it's the, also the start point. The Prophet the Prophet he's the biggest sign of the Day of Judgment. He is the single biggest sign of the judgment. He set it in, in, in motion. Is he negative? Of course not. So I just want to say that there's a discussion. Now that doesn't mean that extravagance in Masajid is allowed, uh, uh, but it's, it's, it's a point. Right. Um, uh, Canada is 1300 for Hajj 2023. I'm thinking that she means 13,000 probably. How would it work if we get a land package to go with you, counted towards UK or Canada quota? So Canada and US are going to be okay. They're going to be allowed to actually join the program. Uh, it's the other countries are in trouble, actually, because uh, this, uh, you know, subhanAllah, you guys don't ever want me to go to Hajj, do you? Just making me explain these things that I'm only going to get me in trouble. This is just the greatest blag you've ever seen. You know when you're behind the scenes and you see what's going on? We are the cash cow, and when I say we, I mean us Pakis, yeah? They see us Brits, Americans, and Canadians as the cash cow that's going to take these people, their income, to a whole different level. That's it. We've been whipped, bro. Oh, bro. Honestly, anyway. Uh, the Prophet ﷺ stepped down from the member for Sajda because it wasn't wide enough. Um, yeah, I'm guessing. Yeah, I'm guessing. Um, let's do on topic first, uh, uh, Zafar. Do you break between the prayers with word movement only when praying in the masjid? Or does this apply when praying at home too? This is a good question. And... The reason it's good is because you would have thought that the illa is confusing other people. And the answer is no. This is applying to all prayers. Because it's a disrespect yani, of the prayer to be praying like some kind of robot. It's so embarrassing to watch people do that, right? Like there's no soul to the prayer. The, the, you know, after a prayer, a person should think about what is that I offered, right? Astaghfirullah is a very apt statement that, you know, I think I did a great job, but you know what? I probably didn't. Astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah. Person jumps straight up. You know, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, how you can bring it down? Um, anything else? No, that's it. That's it. Only applies when praying in the masjid? No. So I don't think it applies. I think you should do that at home as well. I think there's one on the pulpit uh, from uh, Amal. Uh, is he referring to a pulpit? A pulpit is a raised stand. Did I keep saying pulpit? Is a raised stand for preachers in a Christian church. The origin of the word is the Latin pulpitum. The traditional pulpit is raised well above the surrounding floor for audibility and visibility, access by steps with sides coming to about waist. Yeah, there you go. That's it. That's the, that's the one. That's the one. Any other questions, folks? Then let's take uh, Hibber's one then. Um, there was a trans woman. Yeah, in Disbury. I remember that. Yeah. How do we treat someone who has had a gender change for a non-medical reason as per their original gender or new? For example, a sister went to a salon. <coughs> A sister went to a salon for a haircut and booked with a female hairdresser. Turns out that they had... What the fish, bro? <laughs> like, what the actual fish? Turns out that the hairdresser is a male who transitioned. Because you transition. You don't... You know what I mean? It's like step by step. How do we navigate around such issues when you have sisters doing wudu in uh, female toilets or perhaps in the future such people in women's section in the masajid well 
I don't know how, but certainly not according to the Western standards anyway, you know, of making politically correct statements and all the rest of it. Yeah, has to be dealt with. We will tell them very clearly that this is the, and you know, the, the fear is, is that this is a genuine hermaphrodite, yeah? And that there's something real going on. They have, to, just like I gave the ruling in COVID, I said that I believe that the Muslim community can obligate upon its people to take a vaccine. Now, if you think about that, that's outrageous, actually, because there's already got controversy about it. Does it even work? Uh, all the conspiracy theories about it. And then we're saying that a person could make it obligatory. Well, if, there's, if the ruler or the Muslim authorities believe that there is enough of a maslaha for the community, it is allowed for them to obligate things that normally wouldn't be obligated, even if it's controversial. So imagine if we can argue that. And that's, been, uh, that's not from me, by the way. That's from many of the fiqh councils that, that have made that clear, right? Regardless of your own personal opinion upon it, I'm giving you as an example. So of course we can go into a masjid and override the personal honor of one, you know, gender change person, yeah, that has made that decision. I get it that they're offended. But bro, you know what? Park your offense. We're doing it to protect the, the uh, uh, masses because, you know, they have... A, a need right we need to protect them and we're going to find out and if that's the case sorry whatever whatever the level is a food you should never hesitate <laughs> never hesitate to bring things what's this in aid of yeah. mashallah what's that are we, are we giving hey, go and give these out go on give it to everybody Allah. this needs to be opened up what, who starts? <clears throat> huh? who starts? oh mashallah oh. so this is limited so obviously this has to be chosen it should be given to special people only. There's like proper cakes in here. Zafar, what's, what's, the, what's, the, what's the, the, the criteria for choosing? How many cakes are there? Right. See, Zafar is already thinking. See that? <laughs> there are 11 cakes remaining. So five people that we are Huh? Six for you, it? No, no, no. I'm, I'm okay with one. It's okay. How do we choose? Then uh, open it over there. Go on, go on. Have it off there. How are we going to choose? Guys, can we have a fair system for these cakes, please? What's fair? Who? Attendance. Regular attendees. Well, that's, well, Fazan, you're not getting any, are you then? Yeah? Right? <laughs> okay. All right. Fazana takes one. Okay, there you go. Okay, khalas. Things are getting better. Okay, folks, there could be some equity here. This is... Oh, mashallah. All right. The question is, that do we continue with this online and upset everybody that's watching, thinking this is the one time that we should have gone in? <coughs> All right, guys, there are things happening here. MashaAllah, Allahumma barik. Allahumma barik. All right, there's some serious mal here, by the way. All right, there's mal, proper mal. We got, okay, we got Matai going down. We got, oh, you sick guy. Okay, we got Timbits going down. We got Fingers going down. Tonight's going to be a good, as Shazad Salim keeps saying, you know, Shazad Salim's favorite uh, statement, there's some kind of meme or gif, we're eating good tonight. Seniority? Seniority. Seniority in what? Knowledge? Years? Yeah, I mean, what we're talking about. I can say that there's a teka basically on this box right here with me. I can see what I'm going for right there. The rest of you, good luck. Yeah. All right. I think we've, we're done. We've covered. We're done, everybody. We treat them as per their original gender. Correct. We treat them as per their original gender to protect the interests of the uh, 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 masses if we find out that there is someone that's in a genuine kind of situation then we, you know we make we make uh, uh, a means for that but they need to know that we will not accept 
a personal choice like the wider society wants us to accept or, or apparently you know for people and you know what before this rapist guy in the in the female prison thing happened there would have been you know a lot of uncertainty now the public is very clearly you know in in one place and absolutely muslims should have been on that place and defending that position regardless of that news coming out you know what i'm saying and the last pound uh, uh final question is if you feel undervalued unappreciated discriminated against when working in your workplace how should you react as people judge you as you are a trainee and not as intelligent as them and judge you because you look different to them and wear a scarf and look funny i'm wondering if there's any a hope of change well that of course is something which is dependent upon the work and that environment and the job as well sometimes you know it's worth fighting for a particular position or a role and others which your person is only doing it for the sake of you know part-time or whatever then it's just it's not worth it the energy is not worth it but in general i personally prefer that people take on these kind of things personally that's my own person but then i can say that easily because i like that kind of i like a little bit of beef you know what i mean and maybe a sister's not down for that and it's a headache for her or whatever possibly not any the, the best uh, for them Jazakumullah everybody online Ahlam from Canada Barakallahu feekum Jazakumullah khair May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept all of our du'as May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put barakah in this class and allow us to benefit from it May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from any mistakes May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide us to that which is right May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us people of practice and not just study May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put all of this effort into our mizan al-hasanat May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the best in this life and the next. Allahumma amin subhanakallahumma bihamdik. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta wa astaghfirukallahumma wa atubu ilaik wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Right folks.